This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. An encounter with a possible alien-human hybrid this hour when David Emmons joins me in mere minutes. This is quite a remarkable story. A second hour, former attorney, now broadcaster, Ted Marr, drops by from the Pacific Northwest, Seattle. Or is it Chas? We'll find out. Ted is a, a very interesting fellow. He insists he's found an entrance into the interior of the hollow earth at Mount Shasta in Northern California, and he's also figured out how to time travel using a particular meditation technique. I have to send out birthday greetings to my mom, North, uh, Norma Serrett. She is 95 years young today. And uh, my brother and sisters were over at her house for a backyard barbecue. Um, my boys and I and the mighty Aphrodite will go to see her Tuesday. But we reached out to her on Zoom uh, this afternoon, and she was looking, I must say, absolutely resplendent in her enormous, magnificent sun hat. She looks, she looks great, and she is, thank God, in terrific health. Still loves to laugh. Uh, she really um, is a force of nature. She had a bad fall earlier this year. She broke a rib, uh, but she has bounced right back. And. Uh, uh, Sometimes she'll go out into her uh, her garden and she'll pull weeds and sometimes she'll try and do a little too much and then she'll get a sore back and then and she'll say, I just have to remind myself I'm not 85 anymore. Happy birthday, mom. I love you. Uh, Carlos Cagini is my technical producer. Ryan White is my live stream producer and we are live streaming on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Make sure to like and hit the red sub button. We're trying to get to 21,000 subscribers. Dave Emmons joins us to talk about his experience with alien implants, abductions, and hybrids. Dave has his own radio program at KCOR Radio. He served as a combat leader in Vietnam 
and also received top-secret nuclear weapons training. After leaving the U.S. Army with an honorable discharge, Dave worked as an electrician, a businessman, and a musician. He had his first UFO contact at the age of 14. Dave Emmons, climb aboard, sir. How are you? I'm fine, uh, Richard. How are you? It's, it's nice being back on your show. Yes, indeed. Great yeah. to have you. Where is KCOR Radio? KCOR Radio is out of Las Vegas. And as uh, Tina Coet, she's the CEO and also the producer and a very sharp producer. And, and I, you know, I guess like you, she, she produces the show and all I have to do is worry about uh, talking to the guest. <laughs> so that's nice to have a producer. Uh, you're, right. in a, you're in a position to have producer, but yeah, I'm just, uh, uh, just, a, I guess a, a beginning flunky, not really, but I was, I was in journalism through my college years. So I had radio and TV journalism back then. And the top secret security clearance, I dumped that uh, going to school in Redstone Arsenal because I was only about about ready to turn 20. I didn't like the military intelligence people coming in every week and talking to us. And we were going to end up in some basement in uh, Sandia, New Mexico. So I got out of the class. I had to go to the post uh, chaplain to get out. But my brother got orders for Vietnam and his wife was about ready to have a baby. So I said, no, I, I will go for him. So I went instead you, of him. Oh, I didn't realize you could do that. You could switch yeah, for right. somebody. Yeah. Interesting. If, if, if it's your brother, yes. Uh, sibling. Uh, I, they still have that. Uh, you don't have to serve. Two brothers don't have to serve in the same combat area. Oh, I see. Yeah. So wow. I was to bump his arm. That's quite a, and went. Quite a yeah. sacrifice. Quite yeah. a sacrifice. Yeah. I ended up uh, being an uh, infantry a platoon sergeant. I was a platoon leader and ended up being an infantry. And uh, I, well, I did a good job and uh, it made made a man out of me. So I don't know what the uh, top secret security Sandia, New Mexico would have turned out to be, but uh, you know, roads split, whatever we go different ways. And right. I, well, you've had quite a quite a varied career: businessman, musician, some right. journalist training, now a broadcaster. Let's talk about your first UFO contact at the age of fourteen. What happened? Okay, it was a, a buddy of mine. We were in Alton, Illinois. That's I'm still in Alton, really. I come back from Alaska for a couple of years and come back here. But it was a, a, an evening, summer evening. We were out of school, and uh, it was about 1030 at night. We were sitting on his steps, and he lived with his dad in the downstairs apartment. And uh, we were out drinking a Pepsi and a glass bottle. If th that'll age me right there. And we were listening to it. <laughs> I remember those. Yeah. I, I, and we were listening to a 10 transistor radio and the snapping and popping. And I asked my friend, I said, didn't you change the batteries? He said, yeah, I did. And then we smelled something and it was kind of like sulfur smell, but, uh, what all my research and my age and my experience. But after that, I found out it was ozone smell. So we looked up, we saw these two, uh, bright little, they weren't big lights. They were smaller lights, but they were bright. And there was one red light in the back of this. This uh, It was a dark object, what we can see at that time, just over the treetops. So we got up on the street, him and I, and he grabbed a, a flashlight. He started blinking at this thing with a flashlight. And maybe that was a way of communicating. They, they communicate in light, I believe. And if you blink something at them, like a laser or a flashlight, 
they will note that and they'll actually, you know, I guess just stand there or, or just be still and, not- and notice you. But we walked up to this empty lot. It was only about two, three houses up the street. And we walked up to this empty lot, stood there, and we was actually overlooking my backyard. Uh, I lived on the other side of the street uh, through a wood line. And it was my backyard that this, this craft, it was 30 feet wide, about 15 wow. feet tall. And it, it was dark on the bottom. And we kept looking at it, and we pinched each other to see if it was real. And we couldn't believe it. He was 13. He was a little younger than me, but uh, we were both of age to know what we were seeing. But he, he pinched me too hard, and I said, ow, that hurt. And he says, well, I had to make sure we're not dreaming. I said, well, do it to yourself. So we kind of, as a kids, we were clowning around a little bit. But we weren't really that frightened about it, but we was just awestruck looking at this thing. It looked like one of these bubbly tops that uh, back in the old times where you wound them up with a little corkscrew or whatever it was. And it had a bottom part that was kind of pudgy. And then a second layer that had windows or portals in it. And I didn't want to look at the windows and portals because I didn't want them to look out. I didn't want to see what they looked like. On top, there was kind of like a bubble cap, just like a cap. And then it had two antennae sticking out. So it must right. have been. Sounds like a quintessential UFO sighting, really. It, yeah. It, this it, is in the middle of the day? No, this was is it? 10 at night. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. It was right. at night. All right. right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now, yeah. Sorry, excuse me, Dave, but you said something interesting. Uh, initially, you said it's you smelled sulfur. Right. And then you said, but it was ozone. But sulfur and ozone are very different. Like sulfur, I mean, that's a very distinct smell um and i i was i I recently had a demonologist on the program and and he talked about you know sulfur uh the smell of sulfur when there was what he considered to be demonic activity have you ever thought there might be a connection there no not really because what happened after after we stood there for a while we, we we lost track of time we didn't really know what happened after that and we were looking at the craft, and we, we nothing happened. We just we were just frozen. I guess that's when they dumb you down. I would imagine they 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 shoot this magnetic energy at you, and they dumb you down, and everything's okay. It's kind of like having two or three cocktails, and you're just chilled out and you're mellow. And what happened was we just we stood there, and then all of a sudden we we kind of come back to ourselves again. And I saw this craft. I drew it out, and it's amazing how when you draw, how simple it is, you draw something out, and you can actually place where you've been and, and where the, where the it would come, what direction it come, and where it was setting. It was setting in the southwest when I drew it out, and it was taking off in the west. I mean, it just shot out right through the clouds, and uh, I, it, just, it was just moving really fast. So both of us went to our homes. I went to my house. My mom had the door locked. And she said, don't you know what time it is? I said, no, I don't, Mom. I said, I just saw a UFO, a flying saucer. And she says, get in the house, a flying saucer, your butt. And I said, okay. <laughs> she wasn't buying it. No, she, not, no she, she wasn't. She thought it was just a trick to stay out late. But uh, my buddy went to his dad, and he said, he said hey, Dad, I saw, saw a flying saucer. And he said, yes, yeah, son, yeah, yeah, go to sleep. You know, so uh, my mom was mad because she had to go and open up the door, and it was late. I don't even know if she really knows right. what time it was. 
now she ha- she's not being able to tell me you know remember that she's 92 and i'd appreciate what you said about your mother uh, god bless your mom and you you, you love your yeah, mom yeah. sounds like it and my mom's 92 and she's still very bright and very uh you know she she can talk very well she's got she can she can tie a whole sentence together <laughs> she's biden can't do that <laughs> but, uh, that's true that's true but so there was some missing time there do you think i mean does that if if there was that might be an indication of an abduction. Yes, uh, I can tell you what I've had. I've had a regression, uh, a, a real lucid dream. I was sitting on this metal table. It was in a dark room. It was kind of warm. I felt it was kind of warm, and I was really groggy, just like you were after a surgery, after an anesthetic. And I was trying to put on a shirt that was too small for me. And I remember trying and trying. I couldn't do it. And then apparently things changed. My my uh, buddy was a little smaller than me. I was a little chubby guy at that time, and still am, I guess. But uh, he he had a he had a smaller shirt, and I couldn't get it on. These were button shirts that we wore back then. So I we finally I guess got the right clothes. But as a journalist, I keep track of notes, and I have a ledger. It's it's getting about three hundred pages long now. I've had some new things happen since February. And but the, I keep this ledger and the notes in it. But I I remember everything by heart. I, I take no notes on when I'm talking. These things, when they're burned in your mind, you never forget them. But the facts, I have to follow the facts. And one fact that we saw this UFO, correct. We saw it, but then afterwards I had that lucid dream. And then secondly, three weeks or four weeks afterwards, somewhere in there. I was I felt something in my left testicle and it was kind of solid and I thought what is that and then I looked down and there was a thin red line a real thin red line like a laser cut I I looked at that and I said I wonder what that is so I kept pushing this this object towards that red line how I thought about doing all that together at 14 I must have been I had some thought or some premonition that something was there that I can push out. So I kept pushing it out this red line and it finally popped out. And then I had it in my hand. It was, it looked like a little M&M or a little Advil pill. And it was, was, yeah. And it was ash color, kind of light. And as I held it out, it it started getting darker and darker as I held it out. And I showed my mom and she says, get rid of that thing. She said, that's probably an ingrown hair or something. I said, no mom, there was a hole cut for it. She looked at me. She said, a hole? I said, yeah, a thin red line in my testicle. I said, it was cut to take it in or out. And then she stopped. She, couldn't, she didn't have an answer for that. She goes, throw it away. Just, just throw it away. Uh, come to find out, she had her own UFO experiences when she was a child with her family. And she had them, she's had them in the last 30, 40 years also. Uh, Well, they say it's generational. And what about your buddy? Uh, Does he have, is he still with us? Does he have memories of this? Uh, Yes, he does have memories. Uh, I talked to him just last week. Uh, We get together and a lot of times people will bring it up, especially my older brother. He's always interested to hear the story again. But yeah, we talk about it. The last time we talked about it was about a year ago and we we compare notes on it. And uh, he's never had, at least he says, he's never had a follow-up visit like I have. I've had uh, all kinds of different things uh, happen to me. The, the the implant in my testicle, I knew was there because the the thin red line laser cut. Right. Uh, that 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 
that was a fact that uh, something. What happened to that implant, Dave? What happened to the implant? Do you still have it? No, no. My mom told me to throw it away. Uh, We didn't even have cameras back then. We were a kind of large family. We couldn't really afford too much. So we didn't really have a camera or would have taken a picture of it. Uh, But that's a long time ago. And and so. Sure. uh, but that's uh, that's how I had proof that, yes, we were taken on board that ship because of the implant and be- also because of the lucid dream that I had being inside a darkened room. That's the first of, of many encounters. Right. Uh, was that the one and only abduction? No, 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 that wasn't. Uh, I I was playing music and going to school a lot. Matter of fact, I passed out uh, working so much and the doctor told me to slow down. It was 20 years after that, well, probably a little longer than that. It was 1996 when I had my first face-to-face with E.T. again. So I was in bed, and I was with my ex-wife at the time and had an adopted daughter. And she liked to keep it dark in the room. So we kept it dark. We put the blankets over the drapes. So there was something coming in the room. It It was kind of shadowing the mirror on the dresser. I got up on my elbow and I had my cheek uh, in my hand and I said, I told, I called out her name and several times she wouldn't answer. I thought she was coming in to get aspirins out of our medicine cabinet because she had headaches a lot and something walked around the corner of the bed. It walked, I, I, so I changed my, my hands and I thought it was going to be her to ask me where the medicine's at. And I put my hand in my, uh, my, my face and I looked at this thing. It was about three and a half feet tall. And it looked right at me, and I looked at it for about five or six seconds. I thought I was going to crap in the bed. I mean, I was oh, scared. Dear Lord, <laughs> this thing had. Was bigger, it a typical gray? Typical gray? I, uh, not like a lot of people. The commercial grays are too smooth. Uh, this one here was wrinkled. I mean, he was really wrinkled. His he didn't have the black lens on his on his eyes, telling me that those black lenses are optional. So. This, his eyes were like ours. He had the white pupils. I couldn't see what color they were, but they were dark eyes. And he was really wrinkled. He had a small little cut for a mouth and two little holes for a nose. And he had the bigger eyes than us. And uh, three and a half feet, he was gray-green in the dark. It looked like it was a, a, a contrasting gray and green-looking uh, individual. But when he stared at me for a while, I just went limp and I fell asleep. I fell asleep. Uh, after that, I guess, I guess it was about an hour or so when I woke up and I asked my wife, I said, did you see or hear anything? And she goes, no, go to bed. And so I went to the restroom and I splashed cold water in my face because my eyes were just, I mean, they were just moving rapidly. I was having a, a closing. I was closing my eyes and opening them real fast. And it was like a nervous tick. And I said, what's going on? So I splashed more cold water in my face and walked around, tried to shake it off. And I was going to work early that morning, so I, I couldn't go back to bed. I was so hyped up. So I went in and watched TV, and I, I just thought, wow, they're back. Uh, you know, this is something I remember back in 63. I, I thought myself, I heard that they followed people. And, and I, I thought maybe after 20 years or so, being real busy, they might have visited me, and I never knew it. Because uh, 50% of the maybe people— they, Maybe they couldn't—maybe they—excuse me, Dave. Maybe they couldn't find you because you took out the tracking device. Uh, is possi- that possible? Possibility. That's yeah. That's a possibility. But uh, but what I'm getting at uh, is is that they. I was I was the first thing come to my mind is they're they're back, 
and because of the, the event back in 1963. And then I just had that same feeling here a while back, and I'll get into that uh, real quick, though. But no, uh, getting back to the sulfur and the, and the ozone, I guess the clarification on that, I always, when I smelled ozone, I thought it was, it was kind of sulfur smell. That's why I acquainted it with that. And you're ah. probably correct, but, but it did smell like sulfur. But it was, it was burning at the bottom of the ship because it was black at the bottom of the ship where it come into the uh, atmosphere. Uh, it must have come in pretty fast, and it, it was burning uh, the oxygen dioxide and the carbon dioxide and the carbon monoxide. It was burning all that and causing a, a sulfur smell, I guess. I, I call it. it ozone, but it may not be the ozone uh, smell that uh, everybody's used to. But I thought I smelled ozone once, and it smelled like that. That's why I say that. But it was a strong sulfur smell to get down to the bottom dollar of it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I knew that they were back after 19, seven, uh, 1996. That was in 96 when that happened. And So between, just, excuse me, Dave. There, so between 63 and 96, there was nothing? Nothing that was confronted with, Not nothing I did, I saw. I could have been visited, but I, I didn't know it uh, because right. – I did a lot of playing of music and and us rock guys. We drank a lot. I didn't do drugs, but I I drank a lot, and so I was out most of the time. Where I was even too tired. To even if a, if an alien come in, I would have just rolled around and say, "Okay, uh, do what you want." You know, I bit. I was so tired right. and worked so hard during those years. Uh, and like you said, maybe they did lose track. But if they did, then that means that the family thing is not uh, is may it may not be the the thing that's involved with my interesting. Tracking. Listen, Dave, I got to jump in here because we've got a break coming up. All right, uh, just sit tight. When we come back, we'll we'll talk about your encounter with a uh, a possible human alien hybrid. Dave Emmons, my guest. More to come on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Hey, welcome back. Just want to give you a heads up. Coming up in early July, the first week of July, the first of a series of what I'm calling digital town halls or web conferences I'll be hosting. And the first one is... July the 9th, featuring Jim Elvidge, the author of Digital Consciousness, A Transformative Vision. And uh, he'll join me for 90 minutes, a 60-minute presentation interview, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A. This will all take uh, take place uh, over Zoom. And uh, again, more details will be coming shortly at strangeplanet.ca. I will be creating a special landing page that I'll be directing to you, uh, directing you to, to, uh, to subscribe and for more information. I just wanted to put that out there early, but more details coming soon. Uh, a series of web conferences, the first with Jim Elvidge on digital consciousness coming up, <clears throat> excuse me, on July the 9th. All right, back to uh, my conversation with David Emmons. And um, David, let's just jump right in and talk about uh, your encounter with a, a possible alien-human hybrid. Okay. Uh, I, I saw five up-close ships, but we can get to this hybrid thing 
uh, right here. Uh, I guess the, we can start off with it since it is a little lengthy story. But it was something in, in, uh, in it was 09, 2010, 2011, 2012. I had a lot of activity. I mean, a lot. I had airports. I had all kinds of things going on. I was abducted uh, electrically. I was almost shocked uh, to death, I thought. But here's, and this, the hybrid probably brought this on. I went to Sedona, October 4th, and I went there and I rested for a couple hours and I went out on the town. I went to visit this one shop. It was a jewelry shop. They told me there was a UFO scene at Cathedral Rock. In Sedona, those who know Sedona would probably know what I'm, uh, where I'm talking about. But sure, sure. What year is this, incidentally, Dave? Yeah, Sorry, it's 2010, 20 October 2010. 2010. Oh, right, oh. Uh, and it was about 6:30 in the evening. I pulled in the parking place there, at Cathedral Rock, and I got my camera out, uh, my video camera. I started recording around Cathedral Rock, hoping I can catch a UFO. And then here pulls in behind me a little white car. We were the only two in that car a lot there. So she pops out and uh, she was a, a Japanese gal, about five, four, something like that. And she wore a, a real thin white uh, sweater and she had the uh, denims on and they were, they were muddy at the bottom of the leg. And I, and I noticed that and I turned the camera to her and I, I filmed her and said, I'm here filming UFOs. And she just kind of looked at me. She put her hands together and she kind of looked at me like a little puppy. I couldn't figure it out. And I, I asked her, I said, are you going for a hike? Are you waiting for some friends? She goes, no, no, not. And she said, we were supposed to meet. I said, we were supposed to meet. I said, what's your name? And she said, Hiroko. And I said, mine's Dave. And I said, but I didn't know that we were supposed to meet. And she goes, yes, we were supposed to meet. I said, really? I said, well, you don't want to go out hiking because it started raining. So I said, you want to get in the car? And she did. And as soon as we got in the car, there was another car that pulled up beside me, about one uh, parking space over. This looked like a guy in his late 20s. He had close cropped hair. He had a headset on. And he never looked at me once. And I thought, okay, in my right mind, uh, if my, my, I guess, combat thinking, I would think, okay, I'm, I'm, this is a setup. There's something going on here. But apparently when she looked at me, she had such strong, dark uh, eyes that I just, uh, I told her, I said, quit looking at me like that. You're burning a hole in the back of my head. And I, and I knew that there was some energy there that uh, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't too uh, happy about. I, I, right. I, I see right through let me. me. Just, let me ask you something, because here you've, you've met this woman for like 10 seconds and already you've invited her into your car. Was she having some hypnotic effect on you? Because that, that's not, you don't, that's not on. You don't invite a complete stranger into your car right yes she did have control of me in that in that way when it started raining i said okay you want to want to go in the car and talk and she goes sure yeah i, I was just saying that i wasn't I, I was just kind of mellowed out like okay nothing's going on here but otherwise uh you know i had a license carry a gun i had a gun in my in my console and i would have taken some kind of evasive action but i didn't think about it I, it was kind of like I was. Uh, I said, "Okay, this is fine." I, she didn't carry nothing. She didn't have a weapon on her, or she didn't carry a purse. She didn't have rings. She didn't have jewelry. Uh, she didn't have a cell phone. She had nothing. And so I thought, "Okay, she can't be too harmful if, if she has nothing on her." I just thought I'd talk to her. But we started talking, and this guy pulled up, and I looked over, and I looked at her, and she looked at me, and but she was as she was talking, she would try to elicit. 
uh, emotions from me. She'd say, what, do, what, did you, what would you do in case you had a fight with your coworker and this person doesn't like you? I said, well, I'd try to make peace. I said, because if you continue to fight, I said, you're going to get fired. And she said, okay. And then That's this, a strange question. Yes. That's a strange question. Yes, a lot of red flags. And then she asked me, she said, my mom and dad uh, fight and they, they, uh, they make me you know, cry. And uh, I said, oh, really? And I said, uh, and this guy took off. And I kept, kept my eye on him. And, and I was the, talking. The guy with the headset. The guy with yeah, the headset. Right. The guy with the headset that I thought maybe he might have been one of these alphabet people. I don't know. But right. I, I sat there and kept talking to her. And, I, and then she said, uh, I, I, I feel really sad. My mom and dad. Uh, are like that. And then she started crying. It was a put on cry. And I knew it. I kind of looked at her and said, what is this? I put my hand on her hand just to kind of calm her down. And her hand was burning hot. I mean, it was really hot. I took my hand off hers. I said, you have a fever? Are you sick? She looks at me and goes, no, no. And I said, you're burning hot. I said, normally, I said, this is cool night. I said, you just have a thin uh, sweater on. And I said, you should be chilly. And she goes, no, I'm not. I'm not. And then this guy pulls in again with the headset. I look over and I look at her and I said, do you know him? She goes, no. And at this time, when I turned around and looked at him, she shrank down in the seat. And I must have like been. Like she was uh, hiding. Like she was hiding from him. Well, n- not that. It looked like she turned into a little gray. She, her eyes got bigger. And it oh, was she weird. literally shrank. She physically yeah. shrank. Yeah. She kind of shrank. Ah. I, I thought I turned around, I looked at her and then she kind of stared at me more to like saying, okay, don't do anything. Everything's fine. I looked at my console and I turned around and looked at this guy again, parked next to us. And then she got back to regular size. She, she got back up in the seat a little bit. I thought, what's going on? But I was so numb down. They call it dumb down actually. And it's a magnetic energy that they put on you that dumbs you down. So she kept talking, and she said she knew 20 languages, and she knew English, but she couldn't read English. So I, I read her a card. There was a card there in the card. And she said, would you read that for me? And I read it for her. And I said, you, you know 20 languages, and you speak English very well. And I said, you can't read English? She goes, no, no, I can't. And, uh, and I, she said, we were supposed to meet. She told me that again in the car. I said, could you explain why were we supposed to meet? She said, we were. And, and she said, I'm, I'm glad to meet you. And I said, I'm glad to meet you too, but I don't know where this, is, where this is all going. And then she said she had to have a baby. And I thought, you have to have a baby? And she goes, yes, I have to have a baby. Uh, this time, this guy pulled in for the third time after he left. And I thought for sure there was some kind of a connection he was either CIA or something that was following her, maybe, and they knew who she was. So she was in the car with me, and they were listening in to see what she was telling me, probably. I, that's my, my thoughts. She didn't give me anything that was technical, anything that I can glean from. I asked her, I said, are you an angel? She goes, no, I'm no angel. I said, you are from here, right? She goes, yes, I'm from Tokyo. I said, okay, uh, fine. And uh, so – I Did think she know it, anything about you? Did she know anything about you, about she, your personal life? She no, Did she know your name? No, she did not say anything to, to, I guess, reveal herself. She kept everything quiet. I've always thought to myself, if a hybrid revealed themselves, they're gone. They're not going to be here on this planet any longer. They're going to be taken somewhere else and gone. So she didn't admit to anything. I mean, she even when I said UFO, she gave me a dirty look. 
So she, she was just real quiet and not telling me anything. And she knew about me, but she didn't tell me that she knew about me. So we took off. She went in her car and my car went back to the lodge. I asked her, I said, you want to meet for breakfast the next day? So we did. She was a little late getting there and she didn't know anything about credit cards. I asked her, I said, you checked out of your room. Did you get your credit card and everything straightened out? She's a credit card. I said, yeah, you better call them and make sure you're checked out properly. That way they know that you're not going to stay another day. And so she called some room or some someplace. So we went and we ate and we were standing there first and waiting in a line of about 12 people. Here's another red flag that I took down uh, the night before I went to my lodge room. I took down a bunch of notes. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm a journalist and I keep notes. So I took about two or three pages of notes of things that she said. And things that I, I thought was a red flag. Well, the next day she was standing and I'm looking at about 10, 12 people. And she said, all these people. I looked at her and I said, all these people? She goes, yes. But Tokyo's got about a million people per block. You know, just about. Right. Uh, right. I mean, that number could be fictitious. But I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, she should, she should have seen a lots of people in, in, uh, in Tokyo. So we went out visiting some of the, the, the I guess, the buttes. And she... And she was uh, wasn't saying much. I gave her some water. She didn't drink much water. And did she, she was, eat? Did you notice her eating? Yes, yeah, she ate a little bit. Yes, yeah, she ate a little bit of egg and what we had breakfast there. She ate a little bit, but not very much. And uh, the next day, she didn't eat very much when we finished our little tour. And she didn't say too much the next day to me, but except again that she had to have a baby and we were supposed to meet. She kept repeating that. And it drove me crazy. Uh, so we went to this little pizza place, and she had a, a piece of pizza. And she had a little black bag this time, a little canvas bag. And it didn't look like something a, a lady would carry. And she still, no no jewelry, no glasses, no nothing on her. You know, so, uh, Did the she, man with the headset show up again? No, not during the day. But there was a strange guy that was, uh, he was a Japanese older gentleman. He had a bunch of camera gear on. And he walked past us one time, and then he was on top of airport uh, lookout there in, in Sedona uh, that afternoon, and we were looking out, and he walked past us, and he looked at me, kind of weird. I can tell when somebody's throwing some messages at you with, your, with their eyes. I looked All right, at Dave, I got to jump in here. Excuse okay. me. We'll uh, take another time out, come back, continue to talk about your encounter with Hiroko. Yes. A potential alien-human hybrid. Right. My name is Richard Sarah. This is The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Dave Emmons is here with a remarkable story, his encounter with a potential alien-human hybrid, Hiroko, a young Japanese woman he met in Sedona uh, near Cathedral Rock back in 2010. And uh, Dave has his own show at uh, KCOR Radio in Las Vegas. Just before we proceed, Dave, how do we listen to the show? When is it and how can we tune in? Well, uh, on a Thursday night at uh, 10 o'clock uh, my time, I have a two-hour show, 
and it's on KCOR, and it's out of Las Vegas. I'm in Illinois, so I do a Skype thing. I've had a guest. I've Grant Cameron was my opener, and I really like that guy. Uh, you know, we get along really well, and uh, I'm really appreciative he did my opener. And I've had uh, Peter Robbins, uh, Dave Marler, uh, Nancy Tremaine. I've had you know quite a few good guests. Uh, I have fun interviewing them. I guess you know that too. It's it, you. You learn a lot from each person you interview. Sure. And sure. for me, uh, it's kind of an experience to to put another piece of the puzzle together for me. Uh, okay, so, so K-Core, Thursday nights, 10 p.m. Pacific, uh, so 7 p.m. Eastern. Oh, 10 p.m. your time in Illinois. Okay, right. so that's central. So 9 p.m., uh, sorry, 11 p.m. Eastern, Thursday nights. And can we listen online? Uh, yes, you can. You can go to the archives of K-Core. And listen to my shows online, and uh, there's several other shows, well, quite a few other shows on KCOR. Okay, so it's at KCOR.com, KCOR.com? Right, that's it. Mm -hmm. Terrific. Okay. So, uh, back to Sedona, and this is what, day three, day four? You're spending Uh, some time with this young Japanese woman, Hiroko? It was was day two. The next day day that that we, we ate, and she was sitting there looking at me. Her eyes were completely black and glistening. And I looked at her and I said, Hiroko, you're staring again. And she says, I like you. I said, I like you too. I was getting the impression, Richard, that this was kind of a daughter type relationship. It was weird, but I was feeling that. And then she she kept repeating again before she left to got in her car. She said she had to take off to Los Angeles. And I said, oh, really? She goes, yes. And so she left around three. I stayed the night. Then the next day it started raining. So I left, went back home. Uh, what I didn't know was what happened that night. And I didn't have the regressed, uh, real lucid dream until later on. But we'll get here back to Hiroko. Six months later, this is where the proof of the pudding comes in. What I, how I say it as, as far as uh, facts fall in line. Six months later, March 17th, 2011, her and two young Japanese boys, I know it was her, they showed up at my door. At my, at my, they, actually, the two boys were standing on the uh, driveway, and about, it was about 10 feet away from the front porch, and my cousin was with me. We were sitting there smoking a cigar and enjoying the nice weather, about 72 degrees on a, on a St. Patrick's Day, and in we, Illinois, in Illinois, in Illinois, right? And it was. It how, was how did you exchange addresses? How did she find you? No, the only card I give her was a card that had my name on it, and I give her my phone number or my email because she wanted me to send pictures. I got pictures of her, about nine of them, and she wanted me to send the pictures. That she was is very important that I send the pictures. I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll make sure. But we, I give her a card. Uh, with my email, and then she gave me her email. I had a detective friend look her email up, and he couldn't trace it. Uh, it was just nowhere to be found. But I wrote and sent her the pictures, uh, I guess, about two weeks or three weeks later. And I wrote her a couple of times, and uh, and it seemed like different people answered me in the emails. The different writing, different uh, – well, she couldn't print the uh, English because so, she couldn't speak it. So somebody else was taking care of her. And there's always like, uh, I guess, D- Dr. David Jacobs said there's three. There's a person at security, and that could have been the guy in the car. And number two, a sponsor, that could have been the older Japanese guy. 
uh, that uh, give us some some weird looks. And then three, the hybrid. And that's how they form up together and teach the hybrid how to melt into our our society. But they need to learn our emotions. And that's why she was extracting them from me. And I realized. But again, she, but she shows up at your door in Illinois and you had not given your address. So no. how did no. she find you? I, I would, well, here's how she found me. I'll go to this first, then, then we'll, I'll, I'll come back to this. But I was in my room at the lodge and it was room 14 and I was in the bed on the, on the, I guess you'd say the left, the left side, if you're facing the bed and I was laying in that spot and I was, I was woke up, somebody was putting a brown tan hose down between my legs and I kicked it away with my knee. And then they put me out. Then I went out. Then the, the lucid dream that I had is regression. Somebody was walking me back and forth in the room. I could see the patio doors in which it had. And I saw the little table and a chair sitting there. And uh, so that, 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 that entity was sitting there. And they was walking me back and forth. And they had a bright light about six inches wide. And it looked like a fluorescent tube. And it was taking it up, up and down my face and in my eyes. And it was it hurt every time it hit my eyes, and then uh, they must have left me alone. I think what they were trying to do was to erase my memory because they use light to erase memories. All and, right, I've got to take one final time. Okay, I'm out here, Dave. Hold on, we'll come up, uh, we'll come back in just uh, mere moments, and we'll finish up this remarkable story. Dave Emmons, my guest, and we are discussing a human alien hybrid. And don't go away. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Dave Emmons is with us. Dave, we have about eight, nine minutes here, so we've got to bring this to some sort of a resolution as best we can. Uh, so again, she she arrives at your... Well, let me back up. So what do you think happened in that hotel room? Were they with were they withdrawing something from you in yeah. order to create a, a, a baby in, in vitro? Yes, I, I saw the hose before between my legs and another incident in my home in uh, Godfrey. And uh, I, I know what that hose is. And that, that's the same one they use to go and they stimulate you and they, they get the semen from you. And then they go, they get a sample and they're they're done. Uh, that's how they usually do it. And I probably that's what that little green guy did to me. A gray green guy did after I went out. He probably did a electronic stimulation and got the semen. And uh, it's easy as that. They just get it and they're, they're gone. And they uh, they might check uh, check your DNA or whatever. But uh, it's it's so simple for them to do. And I saw the light that they used. I did see some of the technology. Uh, actually, in lucid dreams, I saw the light that they used to erase your memory. Uh, so that's exactly how they do it. But uh, it didn't work. They tried to no. erase your memory, but it didn't work. Yeah, I got I got most of it, but I don't know exactly what all went in uh, t- that night. But I got most of what was going on. Uh, so yeah, they d- it didn't really work. So maybe Hiroko wanted me to know some of that that information. But it and on uh, it was uh, March seventeenth, twenty eleven. There was three of them standing at the stop sign. And then they all started walking towards us. My cousin looked and he said, those are Chinese coming towards us. I said, no, those are Japanese. I said, I think I know the lady. And 
she stopped about halfway, turned her back uh, to us, and then two young boys finished walking up to my driveway. And I, she was just far enough away where I couldn't really see her face too well, and she turned her back to me. But I know the way she was standing, she had the same clothes on, the white little sweater and the denims. And I said, my, I told my cousin, I said, I know her. That's Hiroko. He said, who in the hell is Hiroko? I said, I'll tell you later. These two young guys come up. They were dressed, I guess, like like young people dress, and they, they didn't look out of the way. But one of them looked like he was about 15. The other one looked like he was about maybe 16 or 17, and he was taller. And he's the one who asked me, he says, where is the new Walmart? And I thought, what a crazy question. Uh, so I said, it's over this viaduct, and it's right over there. And then that was the last words I was able to say. My cousin, I looked over to him. His head was hanging down. He was almost asleep. They, what they did is they dumbed us down, and we couldn't talk. I wanted to ask if that was Hiroko. Uh, you know, I wanted to find out who they were. Uh, I, we couldn't talk. It was, it was the weirdest thing I've ever did seen. Did they come in the house? Yeah. I could, did they I, come in the house? Yes, one did. Uh, one walked right past me. Got a little brown attache case, and that's where I kept my UFO notes, and the, actually the notes on his mother, should I say. And uh, and he opened up, and he looked at me, and he looked inside the case, and I looked at him. I, I can only have the visuals. I couldn't talk. I couldn't. I was thinking, but I couldn't talk. I couldn't speak the words. We were totally dumbed down, and apparently he walked past me again, put the brown uh, attache case where where, he, where I left it. And I didn't think about it until later on. I said, my goodness, he walked past me. I didn't even know it. So, it, uh, Why do it was, you assume that he, he was her son? It all kind of, uh, Richard, it all kind of fits together. They, they've been taking DNA from me like uh, 96. I knew for sure uh, that there was something done to me there. The little green, gray guy wouldn't walk in that room for nothing. So I figured that happened then. And then by the time that these two... Uh, they were probably teenagers at the time. I they, So, yes. Uh, These been, are your children, in other words. Could be. I've had people take a look at the pictures, and they said that you see her cheekbones and, the, and her chin. It looks like my facial features. She doesn't look typically uh, the Japanese round face kind of. Wait a minute. Wait a minute now. I'm confused. Yeah. Um, you said that these you had you address these boys as maybe her children. Right. So I thought that they were your children, but Roko is their mother. So they had, she had children with you in vitro. Is that what you're saying? So Hiroko is not your daughter. Well, uh, I don't know about that. That's the, she, she was kind of, I felt like she was a daughter type thing. And this, and the grand, and I thought these were grandkids that come to see me. And uh, they did more than, yeah, yeah, my grandkids, basically, from the the lineage. I I don't, you know, that's what's confusing about this thing. They show you the kids one time. It it could be her kids. It could be my kids with my DNA. It could have been way back since I've had, I've had, uh, I guess, this, this ET thing going on almost all my life. I don't know exactly when that DNA or that sperm could have been taken to make even her. Or the and they kids. took some more. They took some more in 2010 in Sedona. Uh, yes, yes. So you, how, how many star children, if I can use that term, <laughs> do you suppose you might have? I don't know, Richard. I don't really. I, that's that's the weird part about it. That's what I keep scratching my head about. What is this all about? 
and who who were they? You know, this, I, but I got the impression that you only meet these people once, the kids, and they, I met them. They walked away, and when they got up to her, my cousin started waking up. He said, what's going on? And he looked, and he said, did you see them walk up to the lady? I said, yeah, I saw them. And he said, what the, and, you know, he started cussing. So I said, I said, I'll tell you, they got to, they met, they walked up to the stop line, stop sign together. And that was about 250 feet away from us. And we watched them. We just stood there. We sat there and we watched them and we just turned and said something to each other and they were gone in a flash. They didn't go up the road or down the road. They, they just beamed up, I guess they were, they were gone. And, and he said, can you see them? I said, no, they're not anywhere to be found. They didn't have a car. They didn't jump in a car. They didn't walk. They just beamed up and they were gone. And my cousin turned pale white. He got up and he was cussing me. He said, Dave, he said, you and these ETs, he said, you're going to, you're running into danger with these, with dealing with this type of stuff. Well, instead of not dealing with them, they came here and he gets in his truck and he was gone. He's, he was scared to death. And I was sitting there wondering what the hell just happened. And I, I, so yeah, after you get dumbed down and you go through something like that, you you wonder what is going on? And uh, I still don't really totally know. And Hiroko, when she came to your house with these two boys who may have been your grand grandchildren, or even right. my, yep. she, uh, did she look old enough to have boys that age? How old was she? She looked like she was in her early thirties. Yes. Uh, okay. She, yes, that yes, would she, mean like, she was very young then. Yes. If, she had, uh, if these boys were 15, 16. Yes. And yeah. did she say anything to you in Illinois? No, no. She turned her back. She didn't show me her face. She didn't want me to know who she was. I knew who she was. You know, I can tell by looking, you know, but, but mm-hmm. I couldn't see her face. No, she, she and the boys didn't say anything to us except the one question. The one kept jiggling his leg and looking at me. And, uh, and I thought, what's going on here? I what think. What's the point of all that? Why the family reunion, do you suppose? They, they do that. They'll bring a baby back to a mother. Uh, you've heard of women having eggs taken away from them, and then you have a child, mm-hmm. and then once they're, they're taken away. And they'll bring them back one time to show you the baby, and then that's it. You won't see now, them. Now, earlier on, you mentioned Dr. David Jacobs. Right. And Dr. Jacobs thinks that this whole human-alien hybrid program is rather sinister. He seems to think they, whatever they are, are raising an army. What do you think? I think they're they're infiltrating us. Uh, they're they're walking amongst us. Uh, sometimes I I saw, actually saw a couple of strange people that I thought were uh, reptilian. The the reptilians can shape shift, and they shape shift mostly in uh, in the form of a woman, and usually very attractive. So they can so they can attract the man, and then they have. The babies or they have they get the sperm of a man in the old traditional way uh not the way that they did me with the hose but uh, that's that's how they do it so uh it's a it's something that's was she a shapeshifter uh you know was she a gray shapeshifter was she a reptilian shapeshifter who knows i don't really know was she a hybrid more more than likely she was a hybrid because of the way she asked questions and she tried to elicit emotions from me and that was right. the red flag and right. that was the last contact you had with Hiroko. Right. Yes, it was. But uh, just before that, in 2011, I had one of my biggest abduction uh, uh, attacks, I guess you can say. It was by 1.30 in the afternoon. I got really tired. 
And this is the way it starts on you. They get to, at that magnetic energy working on you and get real tired. So I want the rest of my back. I have a bad back. So I leaned on my, my left side and I cupped my chin in my, in my left hand. And I heard all this crackling behind me. I mean, it was kind of like stomping on about three boxes of crackers all at one time. And it was just really crackling behind me. And I turned around to look and it hit me in the shoulder. And then I stiffened out. I couldn't move. And then I tried to move again. It hit me again. So I was really frozen. Then I, I was looking out my door. It was a sunny day. I had my, I can move my eyes. I can look out the door and that's all I can do. And I, I, then I heard my sister voice in the hallway calling me, said, Dave, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. She was talking to me, but guess what? She was, she passed away four years before that event. Oh dear Lord. We've got yeah. about 60 seconds here. But yeah, uh, the, then I felt the baby's hand in my fingers. It was at the headboard. And I thought, why are they showing me baby fingers and, and a palm? And I felt of it. And I said, oh, that's a human palm and fingers. And then something heavy set beside me. And then that's when I kind of, I just really jumped out of the bed and I said, oh, God, help me. You know, so it was all over within a, in, a, in an instant. Uh, uh, David Jacobs told me, he said, that that's, he said, they were bringing you back. They weren't abducting you. That was your, your coming back. I said, really? Okay, I've got to wrap it up here, Dave. Yeah. We'll have to have you back on to continue this very quickly. Uh, give us a website or someplace where we can see pictures of you and Hiroko. Okay, uh, I don't really usually publish the pictures of ah. Hiroko, but I okay. do have videos on, on uh, YouTube. It's Dave Emmons' uh, ET event. I actually have a reptilian in my trail camera looking in the camera. I actually okay. do that on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll have to leave it there. But Dave, thank you so much for this. Great talking to you again. We'll do it again. I, I, I love being on your show. Really like it. All right. Thank you, Dave. Thank when you. we come back, time travel. Do it yourself, time travel. Yes, you heard me correct. Ted Marr is next on The Conspiracy Show. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Howdy to all of you tuning in on our flagship station, AM 740, 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio. Here in Toronto, a 50,000-watt blowtorch heard across Ontario, parts of Quebec, Manitoba, from Maine to Minnesota, south to the Carolinas, the largest broadcast footprint of any radio station in North America. Hiya to everyone listening in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey, you streaming us live on zoomerradio.ca, the Zoomer Radio app. Those watching this radio program on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And those of you assembled in the YouTube live chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Psychic radio and television show host Ted Marr is with me this hour. He makes frequent trips to Mount Shasta in Northern California, and he says he's found the entrance to the interior of our hollow earth there. And he'll tell us about that and his ability to time travel using a 
particular meditation technique that he'll he'll share with us. His radio program, Out of This World Radio, broadcasts out of the greater Seattle area. Uh, he's been a, a psychic and in touch with the other side for over 25 years. He also has a new online show at BBS Radio, and we'll tell you more about that, which air, uh, that'll start broadcasting on Monday, July the 6th. And uh, Ted has over 200,000 listeners in over 90 countries. He says the purpose of his program is to make this world a much better and happier place. He's also published a book called Messages from the Masters, which provides messages from Albert Einstein, President Kennedy, Nostradamus, among other great spirits, on our bright, beautiful future. Ted Marr, thanks for joining me. How are you? Richard, it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for inviting me tonight. This is going to be a lot of fun. My pleasure. So I asked him once before, but I, I think my listeners would get would find this very interesting. And that is this rather unusual intersection of practicing law. You were an attorney and also being a psychic. Did those two worlds ever collide? And if so, how? Hmm. Well, it did, actually. And um, I, I came from a psychic family, and my foster mother used to find missing and lost children in the Seattle area. And detectives would come to her, and they, they would say, please don't tell the public, I'm help- we're, uh, you know, we've asked you for help. But they had some cases which they just couldn't solve. So they would come to her, and they'd give her, her like a, a picture of a child or a piece of clothing. And um, she was very good. Usually within a few minutes, she would be able to tell what had happened to the child. Um, but it was it was hard work, and it was also um, very discouraging, as you can well imagine, because many, many times the children would be abused or deceased, but she would be able to help them out, and then the police would often solve the crime, but they could never give her credit because they would might lose her funding and the public might ridicule them. That, that was about 20, 30 years ago now. I think things have changed, and the public hopefully is more open to it now than they were back then. But, um, yeah, she taught me how to talk to the other side. And then when my dad passed away in March of 99, he came to uh, Terry, my foster mother, and um, wanted to teach me um, even more about talking to the other side. So she gave me instructions with my dad's help from 99 until uh, my foster mother passed away in, in um, October of uh, what, was, what year was it? That was 2012. And so since that time, I've been talking to spirits on the other side and benevolent extraterrestrials as well, um, as easy it is for me to talk to you, you now in this dimension. But also practicing law at some point. I mean, how did that work? And did, did those two, you know, being a uh, psychic, how did that work while you're being a lawyer? Lawyers about, you know, just the facts and follow the evidence and all of that sort of thing. Right, right. Well, I, I would... I would be in courtrooms, and I could tell when the other opposing counsel was lying. I could tell when the judge, what the judge was thinking. Um, oh, that's useful I, for a lawyer. <laughs> what lawyer wouldn't have, wouldn't love to have that ability? But, you know, I reached my own psychic deja vu because I was earning six figures plus. I was earning a very good income, but I got to the point where I, I could see people when they were lying, and I had clients come to me, and they wanted me to lie, steal, and cheat. And after a while, I just couldn't do it anymore. And it's a long story how I ended up doing what I do now. But 
I had to follow my soul, and my soul said, "You, this was my own spiritual lesson." You know, I could, um, um, I, I, you know, money's fine. It's it's a good thing to earn money, of course. I'm not knocking it, but I reached my own kind of um, Waterloo in a way where I had to have, I had to do something else. So um, it's a long story. I stopped practicing law, and uh, that was about. Uh, 10 years ago now, 10, 11 years ago, and then I said to myself, well, what am I going to do now? And I meditated deeply, and I, I'll never forget, I went to see a psychic once in Seattle, and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, what do you mean? I'd like a reading. And he said, no, I'm serious. You can do the same thing I'm doing, and probably even better. You just need practice. And um, and so I started um, started doing it, and then craziest thing happened in 2013. Um, I was in a library doing some research, and a homeless man came up to me, and he called me by my name, and I'd never met him before, Richard, and he said, Ted, you need to start your own radio show and start writing books. And then I looked around, and before I had a chance to say a word to him, he disappeared. So he was an angel coming to me. And about five or six weeks later, just to make sure I got the message, another man in another library in the Seattle area came up to me, and he said, Ted, you need to start your own radio show and start writing books. And then he disappeared. And at that point, I said, what am I going to do? I don't even know the first thing about radio. And it just so happened, I met this uh, young lady who had a friend who was the manager of this radio station in Seattle, and I visited him back in September of 2013. And within 45 minutes, I signed a contract for my own show. And um, I've been on the air ever since. And I started with, uh, with no experience. Um, and since that time, I've gotten, I think my range now is over 90 countries and over a quarter of a million uh, listeners. Um, my website, if it's okay to give it out, is um, Absolutely. W- Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Thank you, my friend. Um, out of this world, 1150.com. And I broadcast on Fridays from 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific time. The purpose of my show was to make the world a much better and happier place. And I'm also starting a new online show out of the San Francisco Bay Area. And actually, I was going to start July 6th, but uh, I've moved it up to June 20th, and that's um, BBS Radio, uh, Boy Boy Sam Radio, forward slash Out of This World Radio. And that'll be, uh, I'll be broadcasting on Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. And since we last spoke, Richard, I've gotten two more offers to... um, to be on five different radio shows in Miami, Florida, and be syndicated on the U.S. East Coast. And then um, a couple days ago, I got another offer to be on two FM stations on Friday night at 10 p.m. Central European time in Vienna, Austria. And um, I hope I don't get... Uh, Vienna, Austria, Miami? How that's? It's almost like there's someone behind the scenes helping you along. I mean, not that you're... Yeah. Yeah, I'm not suggesting you didn't earn this, but I'm saying, mm-hmm. you're, as you're describing it, it's like your whole career is being orchestrated by some, what, higher power? I, I think so, yeah. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, um, and um, it's, um, I, I know I'm being guided by angels, um, uh, and it's been an amazing experience. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, I... I, I was looking for a for a house for a home, and um, I, I I said to my dad on the other side, I'd love to get a house, but I don't have the money. And he said, Don't worry. He told me when I would find it, and he said, Don't worry, we'll help you get it. And so I did. Find, he said I'd find it in June of 
what year was that? 17. And I did find it. And the house I got was a three bedroom for um, $10,000. And um, it closed. Say what? How is that possible? How is that possible? (laughs) You can't buy a um, doorknob for (laughs) $10,000. Well, the, the information that you get, if you, if you have a good psychic who can access the fifth and higher dimensions, all you get is true. It's 100% true. Now, sometimes you may, may make a mistake, but usually if you get incorrect information, it's, it's only because your perceptions might be off. But if you tune right. carefully into the fifth dimension, the, the information you get is usually 100% true, and you can, you can take that to the bank. Literally. All right. Ted Marr is with us from Out of This World Radio. Just a quick aside, Ted, because you broadcast out of uh, the Seattle area. Uh, are you anywhere near the uh, the newly formed uh, Republic of Chaz? Uh, about uh, the station's about five or six miles away from it. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's quite there's quite a bit. I would love to tell you off air what's going on, um, but uh, it's been very surprising, everything. Um, yeah, it's been very surprising, Richard. It's kind of like, a, kind of a shock, frankly. But um, I know we'll get yeah, through it, I, you know. Yeah, so. Right, yes, I hope it all ends well. Uh, now, yeah. so, I want to talk to you about Mount Shasta. Uh, I have driven, I've, I've never, I've driven by Mount Shasta a number of times, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but I've never stopped and uh, stopped there. It's certainly on my list. I hear wonderful things about Mount Shasta. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but you take, you take people there every year. You go there every year. And right. first of all, what led you there in the first place? Um, it was August, 2015 when I was invited down to give a presentation. At the time I was channeling, uh, President Kennedy Nostradamus. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy, my good friend Albert Einstein, and other great spirits, and I was invited to give a presentation. So I did. I gave one about two and a half hours down there, and at the end of the conference, I was sleeping on the mountain in a tent, and I'll never forget, I woke up about uh, 4.30, 5 in the morning. I was awakened by Adama, the, the high priest of, of Chelos underneath Mount Shasta, and he said, relax, Ted, we're going to take you on a journey. So they took me to um, Telos, which is a city 100 miles beneath Mount Shasta. It's a fifth-dimensional city where everyone... Which means what? For those not aware, what, does, what do you mean by a fifth-dimension city? Okay, we, okay we, in the, we exist here in the third dimension, Richard, and um, they exist in the fifth dimension. Um, and there are actually 12 different dimensions currently, uh, with the 12th dimension being is where the uh, Supreme Being or the Prime Creator who created God, if you will, there's various names for this entity, um, created this this planet and, and all the universes. Um, and it's the destiny of this planet, according to my great spirit friends, for this planet to to shift into the higher dimension. And so they, they live in a fifth-dimensional um, existence. Uh, they have a physicality, but it's, it's much higher vibration. And when they speak, they, they speak very, very rapidly. They don't. Um, they usually communicate telepathically. Um, what else can I tell you? The, the, the colors are very vibrant down there. They're, the reds, they have red flowers, for example, down there, and they have uh, uh, the, the flowers are far more vibrant in colors than they are here. It's a little bit like 
being up in the being Alberta up in the um, up in the Rockies, and you're up very high elevation, and because there's fewer air molecules up there, the intensity of the sunlight's greater, and so the colors are brighter. It's like that in in the hollow Earth too, and they um, they live. Um, easily live a thousand years down there. Their longevity is much higher than they, than it is here. And um, they do eat like we do, but not as much because they live off what's called prana. They also have an artificial sun, and there's no shadows down there. The sunlight itself is kind of golden. And uh, what's the amazing thing is I'm going back there in a couple of weeks. In about two and a half weeks, I'll be there, Richard. You're welcome to come. Love to have you come out if you like. It's um I'll be going there July 1st to the 8th, and again from August 27th to September 3rd. And what they told me is that when I go this time down there, Richard, I'll be in the fifth, that chest itself, where we go, will be in the fifth dimension. This means that the people of Telos will be walking around us, and they'll be physical before we've gone in etherical in the astral plane. And this will be different this time because the vibrations are, are much higher. Um, Wait a second now. So when you when you saw Telos for the first time in 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 the interior of the Earth beneath Mount Shasta, this fifth dimensional city, you didn't go there physically. You went there. You astral traveled there. Is that the idea? I, I yeah, they astral traveled. They they took my soul and took it to the to the hollow Earth. Um, but the amazing thing is is that um, I have had people on my trips go there physically. There was a group of Koreans about six, seven Koreans who came on my trip in September of 2000, um, what year was uh, 2016 to Mount Shasta. And they had, they were been praying for years to go into Mount Shasta. And I dropped them off and uh, about 10 o'clock in the morning and um, uh, dropped them off to this portal that I knew. And they went off praying and they said, come back. I said, I'll come back around 5 or 6 p.m. that day. So I came back about 5, 5 p.m. 5, 5, 5.30 p.m., Richard, and um, they had just walked out of the rocks. The, the rocks itself had opened up in this portal, and they had just walked out of the rocks from the from go, visiting Telos, and they also went to uh, Shambhala as well. They took a shuttle system. It's quite a story, they told me, and went there. And they had several... You could take a shuttle there. from Telos to Shambhala. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I only know Shambhala from the, uh, the, the song by Three Dog Night. Terrific song. Um, and how far is Telos from Shambhala? Uh, it's quite a way. Shambhala itself um, is, they said it was beneath the Aegean, well, it's the, it's, the, it's the area where in Tibet, where China's located, but there's a shuttle system that's very old, it's thousands of years old, and it moves at lightning speed from one planet to the other. So it doesn't take long, maybe okay, so half an hour, 40 minutes to get Telos to get is there. Telos be, is beneath... Telos is beneath Mount Shasta. Shambhala is beneath Tibet. You're correct. And there's okay. also a library. They also say that the Library of Alexandria didn't um, wasn't wasn't washed over by the waves um, in in the, the 11th century uh, A.D. It actually was taken underneath the Aegean Sea, where Greece is located, and all the books and writings were stored there. And they've added to it since that time. Well, it was supposedly destroyed there. by fire. It was supposedly Correct. destroyed by yeah. fire. Uh, now, um, so you know the pres- is there more than one entrance into the interior Earth at Mount Shasta, or is there only one? No, there are, there are many, um, but they're clustered around one particular area. There's there's a couple different entrances to it. There's one place where we always camp, 
where there's there's several different entrances. There's another place south of town that we go to for another place that's an entrance. There's still more entrances uh, toward the top of Mount Shasta. I mean, they're really all, all over the place. But the, one of the most exciting things that happens there is that we've had a series of miracle healings uh, since 2016 visiting the mountain. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I have firsthand experience on this. Um, for many years, my eyesight in my right eye was 20-50 vision, blurry, far, far-sighted vision. And um, last September, Adama asked me one night in, in, in a dream, he said, you can see now crystal clear. How would you like to see physically crystal clear? And I said, yes, I'd love, love to. And he said, how would you like um, some some new eyesight, fix your eyesight physically? And I said, yes, I'd love it. So the next morning I woke up, and uh, for the first time in 40, 40, 45 years, I could see crystal clear in both eyes, 2010 crystal clear eyesight, which is what I have now. Um, in another time in, I think it was September of 2018, I was at the mountain with a small group of people, and um, I've been working seven, 24-7 for years, uh, first as an attorney and then now for a radio show. I, I do work quite a bit. And they said that, um, Ted, your heart's wearing out. How would you like a new heart? And I said, yes, I'd love one, because they didn't want me to expire early. So they gave me a new heart. And so I have a new heart and new eyesight now, and I feel... Uh, refurbished with a new warranty, ready to go for the next thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, uh, we're going to break here in about uh, a minute. Um, so each time you go to Mount Shasta, now do you astral travel to Telos, or do you physically go through this portal in, into the interior of the Earth? Almost every, well, there's a couple of prerequisites. First off, um, it's a good idea not to eat meat three weeks before the trip. That's the first thing. Second thing, you have to be a high positive vibration, not have any doubts about it. And the, and the third thing is that most of the time, everybody travels on the astral plane, but people have gone in physically, too. Um, and um, it's happened with such have regularity. You, have you gone in physically? Yeah, well, I haven't gone have physically. I've been astrally. I can go there now, okay. too, if you want. Um, okay. Yeah, Listen, I we're going to take a time out. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh, continue to delve into Mount Shasta and also talk about DIY time travel. Ted Marr is here from Out of This World Radio. My name is Richard Serrett, back with more of The Conspiracy Show in mere moments. Don't go away. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Ted Marr is paying us a visit from out of this world radio in the uh, Seattle area. And he's also the author of Messages from the Masters, which uh, time permitting we'll get into as well. Back to Mount Shasta. And uh, so you say that... All of Mount Shasta is moving into the fifth dimension later this year, I think you said. Do you mean just one specific area of Mount Shasta, or are we talking about the whole county? It should be the entire mountain shifting into the fifth dimension. That's what they told me. Um, and so I'll be finding out in about three weeks when I drive down there. Um, it's, it's, it's the most exciting it's the most exciting event in this universe at this time. All eyes are upon us, Richard, and we have many 
extraterrestrial um, civilizations watching us now to see what happens on this planet. It's um, it's an amazing time to be alive. It really is. What what does it what does that mean in practical terms? Uh, if Mount Shasta is moving into the fifth dimension, does that mean if you are on Mount Shasta? When it shifts into the fifth dimension, what does that mean? What'll happen? What'll what will we what would one see if you're in Mount Shasta the moment it shifts into the fifth dimension? All right. Assuming they'll let you in. Now you have to be of high vibration, positive vibration. Um, assuming they'll let you in, and there's there's gates actually, different portals um, uh, at Shasta. You you should be able to walk down a staircase, and once you reach the bottom of the staircase, which you can take a shuttle that moves at, at lightning fast speed down to Telos, which is 100 miles beneath um, Mount Shasta. Um, uh, Telos itself is a Lemurian city. It was established 12,500 years ago by the, by the survivors from Lemuria. About 12,500 years ago, uh, much of the planet was uh, destroyed by the Atlanteans. They were trying to control the planet with nuclear and crystalline uh, energy weapons. They failed, but they also uh, destroyed much of the planet, and uh, much of the Lemurian civilization ended up um, uh, destroying itself in the process, but there were uh, 25,000 people from Lemuria who escaped to these caverns underneath this uh, Mount Shasta, and they brought their technology with, with them. So the Dane's population there is about uh, about 1.3 million. There is something else that happened, too, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the destruction that followed there was a large part of Lemuria which, which broke off and drifted off to the, to the west coast of North America. So the area from Mount Shasta north all the way to Vancouver Island has a very, very high spiritual energy. And I think that's from, they tell me that's from, that's from actually from Lemuria. It's got this Lemurian energy. And the energy itself stops at the Cascade Mountains, which run up and down the west coast. So it's a very interesting area. It's a little bit like if you go to Cusca. Um, Cusco and the Sacred Valley in Peru that also has very high Inca energy. I have a previous life as an Inca uh, Inca Inca uh, priest um, uh, way back thousands of years ago. So it's it's all the same kind of high vibrational um, energy. Right, but again, if you're on Mount Shasta as it moves into the fifth dimension, what would you see? What what will happen? Um, the the your surroundings will be a little bit like uh, fuzziness. You should be able, like, tuning a, a, a radio in or a, uh, um, there, there, was, there was an old, um, it's not the Twilight Zone, but uh, there were several sci-fi uh, series. Outer uh, Limits? Television. The Outer Limits? That's right, Outer Limits, yeah. And they, and they say that nothing's wrong, you know, you're just going to the Outer Limits. As you shift into the, into the higher dimensions, that should be kind of, uh, that, that, should, should, that should be the case, where you'll, you'll experience a disorientation of reality. And then you'll be in this new reality of much, much higher uh, vibration. Um, you won't need to eat as much. Um, the, the colors will all be brighter. And you should all, if you're, when you're in that higher dimension, uh, be able to communicate telepathically. Um, it's, um, I'd love to catch up with you after the trip, and I'll let you know what, I, what we experience, what I experience when, uh, when we go into oh, it. Oh, please do. Please do. Yeah. And is that going going to be a permanent shift into the fifth dimension, or is it just kind of a fleeting glance at what the fifth dimension is like? A uh, permanent shift. Let me, let, me, let me share with you, if you don't mind, what President Kennedy has told me about it. He said that uh, the whole planet, the destiny of planet Earth, is to shift into these higher dimensions. So this is just the start, 
and other there's other eventually the entire planet will shift into the fifth dimension um some places will shift early it's not going to be a, a shift all at once instead it'll be different parts of the planet will sh- start shifting and um shasta will be one of the first places to shift next month uh next year will be sedona arizona um or else uh parts of tibet will go in um next year um and it's going to be an amazing a really amazing time um, I've been down to the to tell us before, and I've experienced the fifth dimension. Things move very, very rapidly, um, and uh, it's, there's not time as we know it here. Um, we exist here in the third dimension. The fourth dimension is time, and they exist in what's called the fifth dimension. In the fifth dimension, they don't have time as we know it here. For example, if you the, the, the Koreans who went in physically into in, in September of 2016 into the into Telos, they were. According to their watches, they were only gone like an hour, okay? But outside, in the third dimension, they must have been gone for seven or eight hours altogether. So time moves a lot slower. If you'd like to listen to that interview, I interviewed all of them just as when they, just after they walked, within minutes after they walked out of Tellus. You can go to my website at www.outofthisworld1150.com, and at the top of the landing page, it says uh, past guests. Go down to 2000. Um, 16, September 2016, and there'll be a small tab, and you can you can listen to the interview I had with all the Koreans who just had just come out of Telos at, at that point. But it's going to be a different kind of reality, um, and I can't I can't wait, uh, Richard. And you're welcome to come too if you like, or, or in August. I, I'll be going there again at the end of August. Well, maybe one day. Uh, that whole giving up meat for three weeks might be a bit of a challenge. Uh, I love my grill, uh, but however, um, you know, <laughs> if okay. if that's what it takes, I will have to buckle down and and uh, give that a shot. Um, well, well, why you know, why not? I give up. I give I give meat up for forty days during Lent, so I'm sure I could do it. It's tough this, though. Uh, now, is- what happens if when the world moves in? To the fifth dimension. What does that mean? Does that mean the end of war? Does that mean uh, the end of strife and turmoil? Uh, is it going to be paradise? What's the world in a fifth dimension going to be like? It, it's going to be paradise. But I, I want to make I want to share this kind of a joke with you, Rich. You know how attorneys are always looking for loopholes. Well, there is a loophole yes. to eating meat. If you bless the animal before you eat it, and uh, there's some spiritual protocols I advise people. Um, the problem is, is that most animals, when they're, when they're butchered, for example, they're in great care. And so when you eat the meat of an animal that's been, been butchered, usually there's a lot of negativity in the meat itself. That's true. The meat and that's it lowers true. your vibration. But if you bless the animal and thank them for giving their life so you may sustain yours and celebrate their life, that takes away a lot of the negativity. So that can help. Um, so if you do eat meat, if you want to come on the trip, you know, just send me an email to outofthisworld1150 at gmail.com, and I'm happy to give you some good advice. But, um, you know, getting back to your question on... Um, the fifth uh, dimension. Oh, the fifth dimension, yeah. It's, uh, you said the world is going to uh, be like paradise. Yeah, it, it'll be like paradise. It's the destiny of this planet to move into, into the fifth dimension. Um, if you're, for example, let's say... Um, you're a prosecutor or a judge um, or a, an attorney in a courtroom, and you're wondering, if you have a criminal case, you're wondering, well, did this person do the crime that they're alleged to have done? You could read in the fifth dimension, Richard, you could read their mind instantaneously, and you could tell their, whether they're guilty or innocent just like that. 
and it's going to get to the point when we go into the fifth dimension, you won't need the heavy-handed um, police structures that you do now because uh, people won't be able won't be able to get away with anything because everybody will be able to read their minds, and so crime will become a thing of the past. Uh, we will still have a government, however, but it will be more for regulating relations between us, humanity on this planet, and other extraterrestrial civilizations. But you know, if you look like a, if you look at, for example, a flock of birds or a herd of geese, herd of cows or, or deer or whatever, they all instinctively know how to act. They don't need a, a, a government over them. And it's like the same way in, in this planet too. And I think as we have spiritually evolved, the need for regulation of human activities will be much less than it is now. So we're jumping from the third into the fifth. Does that mean we're skipping over the fourth dimension? Because you said the fourth dimension is time. And uh, I'm wondering, you know, because we want to talk about time travel and how you time travel, uh, wouldn't that involve being in the fourth dimension? Very, very, very good question, Richard. Thank you for asking that. Um, You actually go into the fourth dimension briefly, and then you slide into the fifth. It's it's a kind of a way station. Um, There is there are people who've come to me in the past. They said, Ted, why don't you make it easier on yourself? Why don't you take drugs? and you'll get to the other side very quickly. And I said, well, you're partially right. If you take, for example, uh, if you abuse alcohol or drugs, you you can go into the other dimension, usually end up in the lower part of the fourth dimension where there's lots of negative entities there. And um, that kind of energy I stay away from. I, plus, I've, I've been in touch with the other side now for 25, 26 years, so I don't need to do any of that. And so um, um, it, you do... You do go. You stop at the fourth dimension briefly, Richard, then go right in, into the fifth. Okay, we're going to uh, take a quick time out here. When we come back, we'll talk about DIY time travel, and uh, Ted will share some of his meditative techniques that will allow you to transcend time and space. Right here on the radio. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show. Please stick around. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Just a quick programming note or two next week. Victor Vigiani from XO, uh, sorry, from... um, my gosh, <laughs> Zealand Communications. Uh, Victor from Zealand Communications will be along with uh, UFO researcher Paula Harris. And I think uh, Clifford Stone may join us for the second hour. Uh, that's next week. The following week, Jerome Corsi uh, uh, will be with us. Jerome Corsi, the author of Killing the Deep State. And, uh, of course, he was caught up in the uh, Mueller uh, Bob Mueller, Russian collusion hoax uh, investigation. He'll tell us about that as well. All right. Um, Ted Marstay is with us. We were talking uh, fifth dimension, and uh, I want to talk about time travel now. So when did you discover that you could you could travel backwards, and I'm assuming backwards and forwards in time? How did that happen? Well, the first time, it's it was a long time ago now. It just seems like yesterday, Richard, but it's a funny story. I was on a flight on Northwest Airlines from Seattle to Tokyo. I, I was working in the South Pacific, actually. Um, and I was on a flight, and I'll be honest, I just had um, two two little shot bottles of brandy. And I was watching a movie on this flight, 
and I fell asleep. And in my dreams, I remember dreaming the next several scenes, like next three or four scenes in this movie. And I woke up, and then I watched all the scenes in the movie replay themselves. But I don't recommend uh, flying flying over to Tokyo <laughs> and drinking brandy time travel. There's an easy way. <laughs> Although that's not a bad way, I must say. That's not a bad way. No, no. It could have been the combination, um, and I haven't tried this since, of mixing the brandy with the, um, what's that French whiskey? I can't remember now. It's, um, um, anyway, the Cavassier, something like that. Yeah, anyway, mixing the two together that did it. But um, the people, different people have different techniques um, for time travel. This is one that's worked for me. And what you do, you get yourself first in a good mood, in a very relaxed state. And you, it's easiest if you start out with something pleasant. Um, for me, I went back to um, when I used to go fishing with my dad at a local lake, um, which was a lot of fun. I always had a lot of fun. And so I wanted to go back and talk to him during this, this time for this fishing trip. So I, I picked a time back in the mid-late 1970s. That, would be a, that was a good time for me. And what I did is that you visualize making two copies of yourself just standing right outside you in the astral plane. And then you take those two copies of yourself and you send it back to that event. Now, it, it's easiest if you pick a pleasant event because it's easiest to go back there because you want to go back and want to talk to your dad. My dad passed away back in March 99. So um, anyway, you send, your, you send two copies of yourself to this particular event that happened. And Why then, two? Uh, Why not just one? Why two copies? Okay, oh, it's 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 for safety reasons, so you don't get your soul lost in the in the uh, in some sort of weird dimensional trap. You're lost out there in the universe somewhere. Okay, okay. Um, now, so if if I if I might, I just want to drill down on this a little bit because this is kind of the 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 the, the crux of it. Uh, so you, when you say you create two copies, I mean you visualize two two more of you. And then right. when you say you send them back, how, right. how how do you do that? What do you mean you send them back? Okay, in your mind's eye, using your pineal gland, you visualize the experience, the pleasant experience in the past. It could be like your first date, for example. Um, it could be a, a really a, a fun time with your parents. It could be just meeting your wife, for example, for the first time. Something pleasant that you'd like to relive. And so if you've got, there's a reason why I say two copies, um, and, and you'll, you'll, I think, I'll, hopefully I can explain it well now. You take the two copies in the astral plane, the first, you make those two copies, then you think back to a pleasant time you would like to go to, and you visualize those two copies going back to that time frame, what, that, that event or that episode that you had, the pleasant experience. One of them, you keep, you, you, um, you, you keep just outside of the event, and then one, you interact with your, with your parents, with your mom, your dad, with maybe a favorite pet you liked, maybe a fishing trip uh, with your dad or relatives you went on. Um, maybe you want to celebrate your, your mom's birthday going back then, or Mother's Day, or Christmas, or maybe a walk along the beach with friends. So you, you, you have one, one copy of you is interacting with your dad or family or relatives. And you and you can do it. You can actually speak to them, talk to them. Um, you can interact with them as long as you don't change history. And changing history means 
um, making some sort of significant change in the past so that you might get rid of yourself. Like, for example, if you, um, I don't know, if you, um, you could even interact with yourself way back then. Um, but you wouldn't want to, for example, accidentally kill yourself back then because then you wouldn't exist now. It's kind of a paradox. Right. The grandfather, but, the grandfather paradox. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you got to be, although, mm-hmm. you know, because we know from the butterfly effect, however, even one subtle, subtle thing that you might not be aware of could cause a cascade of events that could change the future. So, I mean, you have to be very careful. Right. I would assume. Yeah, you got to be very right. You got to be very careful and there are universal laws against changing the past. And I'll give you I'll give you an interesting story I had from a um, a nice lady who was listening to my sh- my radio show from Toronto actually. I'll I'll tell you that story in a few minutes what she told me what happened to her. Anyway, um you interact, you go fishing with your dad, you visit your mom on Mother's Day, you go back to the first time you met your wife. Um have a you have you can have a pleasant time talking to them, and then when you're all finished, you take that that copy who's been interacting with your parents or loved one, and then you bring it back, and there's an extra copy of you standing on the side in the astral plane, observing everything, and you merge it, the two together. It's very important to merge the two together, because if you don't, you may have part of yourself, part of your soul, kind of floating around in some sort of interdimensional reality, and it could really mess mess you up in terms of feeling grounded, and you might. You know, you might continually spaced out for the rest of your life because part of you is in another dimension at another time. But you want to, you can, then you merge those two, two copies of yourself together. Then you bring both copies back to you in this, in this time frame now, time and space, just outside of you. And you merge both those copies back into you again. And you're all All full. All right. We'll, um, we'll take another time out, uh, Ted, and then, and, uh, we'll, we'll continue to delve into, uh, DIY time travel with Ted Marr from Out of This World Radio. It truly is out of this world. Let's um, let's meet up again in just a moment. The Conspiracy Show continues. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. And if you enjoy The Conspiracy Show, I think you're going to get a kick out of my podcast conspiracy unlimited which drops every monday wednesday and friday new episodes every monday wednesday and friday conspiracy unlimited to listen and subscribe just go to conspiracy unlimited podcast.com conspiracy unlimited podcast.com and uh, start enjoying episodes all right uh ted mark stays with us for a few moments yet. We're talking about uh, DIY time travel. So, I mean, it's one thing to imagine. You can imagine yourself uh, back. So let's say I'm imagining my first day in kindergarten in September of 1969. Uh, I can imagine myself being there. But how do I know I'm actually time traveling and not just imagining? Well, one of, I mean, that's a good question, Richard. Um, thanks for asking that. Um, one of the things is that you've got to do two things. That is to trust your heart-mind. And there's two different brains we have. We have one is the heart-mind, and the other one is the logical mind. The heart-mind actually is 2,000 times more um, powerful than the, than the logical mind. So it's always, it's always a good idea to trust the, your intuition. And when you communicate to the other side, 
it's it's almost always the first answer you get, which is which is the right one. The second thing to do is that when you do time travel, you always um, want to develop your pineal gland. Uh, the, the cells in your pineal gland have the same cells that are found in your eyes, actually, um, but they, but they they help with your with your intuition. Um, if you if you live in an area, for example, where the water is fluoridated, um, it's a good idea to to get something called Arctic skate liver oil. Sometimes it's called fermented Arctic skate liver oil. That'll take the fluoride out of your pineal gland because the long term use of fluoride actually shuts down your pineal gland, making it much harder. To, to time travel, to use your intuition, to contact the other side. But within two weeks, um, if you take an arc, just one capsule per day, Richard, you can take out all the fluoride out of your body and also help your intuition, too. Um, it's, um, and it's, it's cheap. It's, I think it's $30 on Amazon to, uh, for a bottle of 120 capsules. Um, and you just take one per day for two weeks, and, and it'll help. $30 is cheap? Yeah, if you... If- it's going to help you time travel. Now, you mentioned fluoride. Yeah. Just a quick aside here, and we'll get back to the time travel. But yeah. do you think then that that was one of the reasons that fluoride was placed in public drinking water was to calcify our pineal glands and prevent us from developing our intuitive sides? Was that deliberate? Um, I think so. Um, I, 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 we could spend another hour on this. Easy, but I'll make it, I'll make it just give you a short answer. Um, after World War II, um, many countries in the West wanted to. We were in this Cold War with the uh, Russians, and they, and uh, we we wanted the military and scientific uh, knowledge, technical knowledge of the of the Germans. Um, they'd lost the war, and they, and especially the United States were, were very interested in getting their expertise. And one of the things that um, Adolf Hitler did in in the uh, late 30s and 40s is that. He used fluoride in the concentration camps in the water there, and one of the reasons why he did is that it is because it shut down the pineal gland, and and it made them good. It made them docile uh, workers who didn't have any intuition. Well, um, uh, I can't talk about the benefits of fluoride for for tooth decay, but I do know it does shut down your um, pineal gland. And so, when those scientists came to the West here, to the United States and Canada. They urged that um, the various governments to put fluoridation in the water supply, and I think it um, it uh, it it uh, it wasn't a good thing for for people, and it shut down their their pineal glands. But it's easy enough remedy. You just take the Arctic skate liver oil, or you drink uh, filtered water that that doesn't have it in it. So um, yeah, there's there's quite a bit written on it actually, but uh, that's that's what I know of of the subject. Uh, I just got a, actually, coincidentally, um, I just got an email. Uh, there's nothing in the body of the email, just a headline, and it says, Big Fluoride Fed Trial on with Paul Connett and his son Michael one week in one week. And um, I don't know anything more about it. I do know Paul Connett. I've interviewed him a number of times. He's a big anti-fluoride uh, researcher activist. So there is a big federal trial coming on. Uh, line apparently regarding fluoride. That's in the United States, I'm assuming. Uh, now, so back to uh, time travel. So, right. how how long did it take for you to get to the point where you could travel uh, back to any point in history you wanted to go, and it, it was like you were you you literally felt that you were there. You were interacting. You had all the sights, the 
smells, the sounds. How long did it take to perfect that? I had to develop my own ability to talk to the other side. And to be honest with you, Richard, um, I had to leave the third dimension behind. And it took me, it took me some time. And I don't want to deter anybody uh, about learning it because I can teach people how to do it, do it. But for me, it took me years to the, get to the point where I could talk, easily talk to the other side. And once I was able to do that and train myself to talk to spirits on the other side, then it was quite easy to do this, very easy to do it. And I can, um, I, I, it, it allows you not only to travel to any point in the past, but you can also go into the future, too, on this or other planets or other universes or other dimensions. And the only problem with going out into the future on this planet, since Earth is a free will planet, um, uh, the, 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 nothing's written in stone for the future. It is written in stone, sort of stone for the past and the present. But if you try to go out, for example, 100 years, you're looking at the best probabilities percentage-wise as to what's going to happen in the future. Because people's, people change their mind, and you can't control free will. But all you can do is get a, a, a good shot at a, a, a good probability of what's going to happen um, in, in the future. Um, so it, um, I hope, I hope that helps. <laughs> I hope that Sure. Helps. All right. So I want to talk for a few moments that remain about your book, Messages from the Masters. And you uh, are channeling people like John F. Kennedy and, uh, Albert Einstein, uh, also Nostradamus. Tell me about meeting Nostradamus. I had an interesting uh, meeting with Nostradamus. It happened back in February of 2015. I've been working on my radio show all day in this library, and I walked outside, and I had um, um, I had wondering what um, Albert Einstein would be saying about what was happening in the world at the time. At the time, there were there were uh, rumors of a war, possible war between the United States and North Korea. And um, I walked out of this building, and I heard this voice in my head saying, "I hear you want to talk to me." And I looked around, there wasn't anybody there, and I said, who's this? And he said, it's Albert Einstein. And I said, whoa, I think I better sit down for a few, I think I better sit down. So I sat down, and for the next three and a half hours, I talked to Albert Einstein about uh, the future, about his, his life. And then um, he gave me a bunch of messages about our beautiful, bright future. And he said, uh, would, you, would you write this in a book and publish it? I said, yes, I would. And then he said, I have other spirits here to talk to you, and they want to talk to you. So then, after that, he introduced me to his friend, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, and after that, I met uh, Robert F. Kennedy, after that, uh, uh, Jack Kennedy, after that, Mahatma Gandhi, who came to me, um, Nostradamus, and a series of, of great uh, great masters. With Nostradamus, um, the time that I go back to is December uh, 1540. He's in his uh, study in, in the south of France, and he's wearing a, a, a burgundy cape with a burgundy flat, uh, kind of floppy hat on. It's smoky, and it's, it's been cold in France at that time. And when I first met him, Richard, he was tearing up uh, uh, these quatrains he'd written about his predictions for the future. And then he brought out a blank piece of parchment, and he, he, got, he put his, his, it's a feather pen, in, and he said, he looked at me, and he said, um, what kind of world will you and your friends make in the um, 20th, 20 or 21st century. And I said, well, of course, we want to make a much better and happier and quiet and peaceful world that doesn't fight, and, and a happy world. And he said, well, you better get busy. So since that time, I've been devoting my, my 100% of my time into making the world a better place. That's part of my radio show, is to raise consciousness. 
and uh, and make the world a better place. And since that time, I've contacted him, and each time I've contacted him, he's been writing quatrains again. But instead of instead of quatrains about a third world war, it's about um, it's about our bright, beautiful future and how we will be able to live at least for a thousand years and years to come. How we'll be able to communicate telepathically. How we'll have free energy and truly live in, in peace and harmony. There's quite a bit he told me. Actually, about three or four days ago, I was awoken at 3 o'clock in the morning by five U.S. presidents, uh, Presidents Washington, Jefferson, uh, Madison, Kennedy, and there was one more. Uh, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I had five U.S. presidents and Ben Franklin, who gave me a lot of messages um, about our future, and there will be the basis for a future for my show on June 20th out of San Francisco. So you can listen at BBS Radio um, uh, uh, dot com forward slash Out of This World Radio. But um, that's that's how I got that's that's how I got to meet, meet uh, Nostradamus. Fantastic, and the the book is Messages from the Masters. That's available at Amazon. Or if if people write me. Um, I'll, I'll give them a discount and give them a free reading too. Um, and just write to me at out of this world, 1150 at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, I'm happy to, to do that. Amazon doesn't offer the free readings, but you can get it from Amazon. It's a good company if you want, but also get it from me. Fantastic. Ted, always a delight. Yeah. Thank you. We'll do this again sometime. And I look forward to being on out of this world radio with you in the not too distant future. Thanks again. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Richard. Have a wonderful day. Thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you. My thanks to Carlos and Ryan back next week with Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network and Paula Harris, maybe Clifford Stone. Just keep checking the website, strangeplanet.ca, for details. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Or at least up the stairs. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.